podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Face Off. It's been a little bit of an unplanned hiatus for the show of late, with us having a bit of bad luck as far as guests pulling out at the last minute, but I'm delighted that we finally get to get things back on the track tonight. And tonight we will be covering Liverpool's recent 3-0 home win over Leicester. And as always, I have two guests to bring you through it with me. The first of which I'll introduce is our Leicester fan for the night, and we have Jim Knight joining us. How are you doing, Jim? I'm great, thank you. Good to be on. It's great to have you on. Thanks for for agreeing to to, um, come on with us tonight. So, Jim, I want to start by talking to you about Brendan Rodgers. I mean, I've been eager to talk to a Leicester fan about him for for obvious reasons. I mean, his first season was certainly a season of two halves, with you looking like potential title challengers in the first half of the season, only to look far from it in the second half. However, once again this season, you've started strong. He certainly divided opinion at Liverpool with how he carried himself in interviews and his player management being specific points of contention. What's your opinion on him? And what do you feel is the general feeling among Leicester fans when it comes to their manager? I think um, Leicester fans in general are, are pretty happy. I mean, it's difficult not to be happy when you've got a team that are sitting fourth in the league, as we record, um, despite the win. And, you know, Rogers compared to his Liverpool days, obviously that was a good few years ago now. Um, and then he's, he moved north to Celtic and has come back down to the Premier League with Leicester. So I, I think he would probably be the first to admit, you know, he's he's a very different person and he's a very different manager um, compared to a few years ago. I think generally we, we can't be um, disappointed. I, I know last season was frustrating, the second half of the season, but we probably overachieved in the first half and underachieved in the second. And actually, yes, OK, we ended up missing the Champions League um, on the last day of the season. But, um, you know, I think the overall thread is that you can see the club moving forward in a positive direction. And some of that is down to Rogers. He's definitely an improvement um, on Claude Puel um, in terms of the style and the intent of the football that's being played. Still true to the kind of possession, build from the back style football. It's not the all guns blazing, counter-attacking, swashbuckling style under Ranieri. But um, he has certainly got the team going in the right direction. The player recruitment continues to be excellent for the most part, which I think is, you know, isn't necessarily something Brendan Rodgers can say he's responsible for because there's a lot going on behind the scenes at Leicester. But um, generally, I think things are moving in the right direction, and ultimately, you know, Rodgers is a big part of that. I think part of the Maybe if there is any reservation around the the fan base is potentially the thought that Rodgers is use not using Leicester, but it, it is seeing Leicester as a bit of a stepping stone potentially. I think he he would want an elite job, 
um, again at some point. What job that is, I don't know. Obviously, having managed Liverpool already, it does kind of rule him out of a couple of the big jobs that might be available um, in the not-too-distant future at top four clubs, or big six clubs, shall we say, um, in the Premier League, traditional big six clubs anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's certainly an interesting time. He obviously signed the new contract, um, which did kind of coincide, unfortunately, with our drop-off in form last season. Um, and there was also the rumoured interest from Arsenal, which was a bit of a theory going around that, you know, once Arsenal came calling and he was potentially looking at leaving, the Leicester players had dropped their heads. But I don't think that's uh, that holds any water this season, given the performances, you know, despite a really tricky um, run of fixtures and some injuries as well. So I think generally he's, we've got to be really, really pleased with how he's um, he set the team up and the results that have been coming overall, if you look at it from a kind of medium-term perspective. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, it's easy for all to see that he, he has improved things at, at Leicester, particularly from, from how things were <laughs> under, under Prowl and... Um, I mean, I think it's the right job for him as well because he, he he left a lot of questions over himself when he left England to to go up north to to Celtic. And although he won a lot of titles up there, his detractors might point to the fact that there there wasn't always the the competition there. And as soon as the competition started to emerge, you know, he he got out of there and back down to England. But I mean, he he fa- whatever about his you know coming close with Liverpool to winning the title, he he did fail to establish them as as a, a Champions League force again. And and if maybe if he can make that break with with Leicester, that that would be all the proof that his uh, his detractors need to to prove them wrong. I suppose time will tell on that one. Um, And, of course, we also have a Liverpool fan joining us to take you through the match tonight. And my guest on that side of things tonight is Mark Roberts, host of the Red Review podcast. How are you doing, Mark? I'm very good, mate. Thank you. Yourself? Not too bad, thanks. Now, Mark... It it's it feels like deja vu because I I remember talking to you about an injury crisis after the Sheffield United match on this very podcast, but now things seem to be even worse, with ten players apparently unavailable for selection. We lost Trent just prior to the break, while Gomez, Henderson, Henderson, Shakiri, and Reese Williams all picked up injuries during the break, and Mohamed Salah tested positive for COVID nineteen. I can't recall a period in which we've been this depleted. Is it down to the fixture congestion, the virus, bad luck? Can you put your finger on it, Mark? I'd probably say all three, to be honest, mate. I think Klopp's certainly been alluding to the fixtures. And he had a bit of a rant, didn't he, on telly last night? Not that Sky in the UK showed it. just about the fixtures and how they're put together. And even like this week, we play Sunday, Wednesday, and then the lunchtime game on Saturday. That's certainly not helping the cause and our very own esteemed Mr. Simon Brundish was saying about Naby how he hadn't played for a while because of injuries and then goes off on international duty and plays two 90-minute games in no time at all really and then he plays for us and he's the latest to pull up with an injury. It's certainly not helping and to be fair, Leicester have suffered as well. They're missing Pereira, they're right back, they're missing Seoncho, arguably their best centre-back and Indeedy, their best midfielder, and they're just the ones that spring to my mind as an outsider. I'm sure Jim will tell us a few more names as well. I know they've missed players all season, and it does seem to be happening 
to a lot of clubs, but none that I know of anywhere close to the extent it's happened to us by. But it's all credit to Jurgen Klopp, Michael Edwards and the rest of the recruitment and backroom team that even with an injury list like that, the quality of the eleven that were on the pitch last night and certainly the quality of the performances is testament to just what we have become the last three, four years and how how strong we are now that we can lose so many players, particularly in similar positions and still feel the team as good as that, as quality as that all over the pitch. Yeah, certainly. We, we will get, get into how certain players stepped up when, when called upon. Um, but before we get there, sticking with the, the injuries there, now obviously Salah will hopefully be available again this week and we'd hope that the, the likes of Henderson, Shakiri and Williams and, and uh, Trent are not too far away either. But the, the notable loss in the, over the past couple of weeks was, was Gomez who picked up... Uh, somewhat serious knee injury and, and looks to be out for you could you could hazard a guess at maybe maybe six months which is uh, virtually the season with, with such a, a compact season I mean how big a blow is that having already lost Virgil van Dijk it's something we've all spoke about on AI really since since the summer break if you like that going into the season with three first team centre-backs, if you like, just Van Dijk, Gomez and Matip was a risk, especially with the injury history of Gomez and Matip the last few years. It was always going to be a risk. It was something that most of us felt a little uncomfortable with. There was always the option to drop Fabinho there, but that does weaken us in midfield. He is one of the best holding midfielders in the league, so much as he's an option there, and he's done phenomenally well there in every game he's played there. He is a fantastic footballer, but it was a worry. But it's a worry that we all saw coming, really, I guess. And now, for the next six weeks, is it until the January break, we're, we're relying on Joel Matip that doesn't have the best of records the last three, four years with injury. And you're just thankful that in the, in the games that they have played, both Reese Williams and Nat Phillips have stepped up to the plate and... You can argue and say, well, Reese Williams isn't really a first-teamer and why are you classing him as the injury risk? Well, because of the other injuries we've had, he has been a first-team player this year. He's played a number of games. He's played very well and it just seems it's bad luck, it's cursed. But at the same time, I think the volume of games that all players are playing, and this isn't just a, a Liverpool fan moaning about Liverpool's fixtures, it's everybody. It was the, before the international break, it was Man United that had to play Thursday night and then Sunday lunchtime it's sorry Wednesday night and Saturday lunchtime and Tottenham have to play Thursday night and Sunday lunchtime it just there just doesn't seem to be any logic making these decisions sorry I've said this on the other pods I was on it just seems the TV companies just pick the game they want that weekend and no thought goes into where they've played the weekend before or if they've got a midweek game and as it carries on and the games come thicker and faster into the packed December schedule you can only see it impacting more and more teams and again the virus doesn't help it was I've just seen the Wolves team for their game tonight and Cody has tested positive so now he's out and I know with Salah there was a bit of a bit of extra news if you like because he was pictured or filmed at his brother's wedding and he's Mo Salah he's one of the most famous footballers on the planet but 
there have been other players with Liverpool that they've been more discreet about it and try to keep it almost out of the news. And you just wonder, are other clubs doing the same? And it's certainly until this vaccine is is rolled out without turning it into a political podcast. I think it's going to affect more and more teams and players. It, it's, it is a virus that's spreading and people are going to test positive for it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Salah's not the, the first Liverpool player to pick it up. We know Sadio Mane had it, Trent Alexander-Arnold had it. Also, strong suggestions that both Thiago and Naby Keita had at that point. It's, it's, it's there, it's not going to go away, and I'm sure a lot more players are going to test positive before the, the, the vaccine gets completely rolled out, and, and that's just the reality we have to deal with. But adding that to the, the fixture congestion isn't ideal, and I wouldn't be surprised if we go beyond 10 injuries before the, the year is out, unfortunately. Um, but speaking of injuries, we'll, we'll move on to team selections, starting with Leicester, and Leicester weren't without their own injuries, of course. Sancho, Pereira, Ndidi and Amarty all remained sidelined with new boy Timothy Castagne. I probably butchered his name. Sorry to him for that. Joined them in the treatment room. They lined up in the 3-4-3 that they've tended to use of late. Smichael between the sticks. Fafana, Evans and Fuchs as the back three. Albrighton and Justin as the wingbacks. Tielemans and Mendy in midfield with Barnes, Vardy and Madison in the front three. Jim, Fafana has enjoyed a bright start to his time in England, but he was obviously a doubt for this one. How relieved were you to see him in the lineup? And were there any surprises for you with the selection? Yeah, not too many surprises. As you said, not quite at 10 injuries yet, but our entire first choice back four, um, bar Johnny Evans prior to this game had all been out or were out for the, uh, for parts of the season. So as you said, um, Castagna and Ricardo Pereira, both out, um, Ricardo Pereira from last season. Um, I think he did his knee, uh, ligament. So he's, he's expected back soon, but he's been out for a long, long time pre lockdown. Um, I think he got injured. It might have been the last game actually against Villa just before um, the games were beyond closed doors. And yeah, the the two centre backs um, obviously would have been Sainz and Evans, and then Evans has, has worked his way back into the team. Obviously, it didn't work out for him um, on Sunday. It wasn't a particularly good game, but I don't think there were too many surprises with the lineup because of the fact that we've had so many injury problems. We've just kind of got to get the the bodies, the pieces out there in the right positions. And to be honest, it's kind of um, it's facilitated a change in formation. I'm not sure if it was ever intended that we we would play a 3-4-3 that kind of turns into a 5-3-2 um, when we're defending because the, the wing-backs drop back into those positions and particularly Justin, you know, he, he is a full, fully-fledged uh, full-back rather than a wing-back. He's much more defensively-minded uh, um, as, in as much so as you can be as a modern fullback, um, they're all taught to go forward. I think before they start to tackle and defend, I think they're wingers by another name. Essentially, fullbacks these days, um, as Liverpool will know well, with Trent and uh, Andy Robertson on the wings. But um, yeah, Fafana has been excellent. He 
he was, I don't want to say he was a risk, but when you see a club spending £30 million on a player that's, I think he's only got 30 first-team starts at Saint-Etienne under his belt. So he didn't have a huge kind of glittering CV or showreel. Um, and at 19 years old, it's always going to be a bit of a gamble. But, you know, the ho- the hopes are high for him. Uh, he certainly looks very confident. He is a bit of a monster in the air. He's got a serious leap on him. Um, which is good at both ends of the pitch. And it wouldn't surprise me if he starts contributing in the final third as well as the defensive third um, with with that kind of leap. And he also, you know, looks very comfortable on the ball. He is able to take the ball out of defence. And there was, a, there was a moment in the Liverpool game uh, on Sunday where he was the furthest player forward and he was the one looking for the crossfield ball to, in, in attack. He was on the edge of the opposition penalty area, which is not something you see many central defenders do. But... The the three four three the flat back three with Fuchs kind of tucking in on that left hand side even though he's a full back kind of being repurposed as a centre back because of the uh, absentee list does allow for Farner to step out if he wants to because then you've got the cover of Johnny Evans uh, and Christian Fuchs at least you're still left two at home um, if Fafana wants to um, to get up ahead of steam if you like and stride through into the midfield but yeah it's it's been a tricky time um, for Leicester it's it's an exciting prospect though. Hopefully we will be able to get that first choice um, back four, or because I think it would have been a back four still, um, were it not for the injuries. I think the three four three, come five three two, has only really been facilitated because of the defensive injuries. I think if we had Castagna fit, if Ricardo Pereira was back, then Justin would probably be back warm in the bench. Um, and those two would start at fullback, and then we'd have. Well, it, it's a question now because you've got Johnny Evans and you've got. Kaglas Ayunchu, who obviously had a fantastic year last year and is out for a little bit of time. But now Fafana's in the mix as well. It might be difficult to keep all three of those guys um, on the pitch at the same time if we want to switch to a back four. So potentially this this 3-4-3 could be here to stay if that's the best way to uh, get the most out of those defensive options going forward, which would be interesting um, to see that kind of deployed long term. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that myself, that it's been somewhat of a fortunate accident yeah. to switch in formation because when you look at it when you've got three as you said notable center halves that are all pushing to, to be in the team you've got two wing backs who obviously are waiting to come back in Pereira and Castagne who both prefer to attack than defend so that that obviously would give them license to do so and I think as well this formation suits James Madison as it allows him to, to shift between midfield and attack so it, it may well be something for Brendan Rodgers to, to consider in the long term. So we'll move ahead to the Liverpool 11. So Liverpool made four changes to the side that lined up at Man City before the break. Milner came in at right back. Fabinho returned at centre half while Keita and Jones came into midfield. Team in full, Alisson, Milner, Gomez, Fabinho. Or actually, not Gomez, Matip. <laughs> That's a typo from uh, my last match. Uh, Robertson, Wijnaldum, Keita, Jones, Mane, Firmino and Jota. Mark, Klopp's hands were tied somewhat with the current injury troubles. So with that in mind, do you feel this is the best team he could have selected? Uh, it probably was, to be honest. I did a preview show with Guy on Friday and we both sort of agreed there was only really three spots up for grabber. Grabs. I thought we all expected Alisson would start, Matip would start, Robertson, Cater, Wijnaldum, and the front three as it was. The, the main choice 
for us we were debating was would he go Milner or Nico Williams at right back if Fabinho was fit or would he go Fabinho or maybe Nat Phillips again at centre-back and then that third midfield spot, I suppose, depending on, again, if Fabinho had played centre-back or midfield, Milner could have played right-back or midfield. And then there was rumours Thiago might be fit or Jones got the nod. So I think there was only really those three, three debates to be had, really, with everybody else that we had out. But me and Guy both sort of agreed that Milner would be on the pitch. We thought with, with the other players that were missing, with no Gomez, no Van Dijk, no Henderson, Milner's sort of, well, he's the vice-captain anyway, and we know Klopp thinks a lot of him, and you just think he would fancy that experience. And again, we, we sort of said that it would be a bold move against Leicester, whose strength is certainly in their attack, to play a Nico Williams at right-sided centre-back and then either a Reese Williams or a Nat Phillips next to them. In, in the right-sided centre-half, and that would just be probably a bit too bold against a team like Leicester. So it didn't really surprise me to see the lineup he did. I was, I was pleased with it when I saw the team. I think, as I said earlier, the games Fabinho's had to play at centre-back. He's certainly not disgraced himself by any means. He's played really, really well, and it's another clean sheet to him. I think since he's played centre-half, we've only conceded one goal, and that was a, a dubious penalty. So... But again, it it just comes down to, without jumping ahead of ourselves, he's just come back from a long layoff. It's, you don't want to now throw him in to play three lots of 90 minutes in six days. It's it's key to manage these minutes. But in terms of the, the team he played for last night, it's obvious now we want 3-0 and put in a, a great performance. But I, I don't think there was many other options he could have gone with, really. You suppose with the change that he made, Nico Williams was obviously the closest in his thinking to whether he'd, he'd start or not. But I think that Milner had a, a really good game and all things considered with the players that were probably left behind at Melwood that went on international duty, that, that played a part in his thinking. Milner's retired from England duty. So it made sense. Again, I said that the leadership, if you like, it's, it's maybe an overused term and ones that certain fan sections aren't over enamoured with, but we know over the, the past three, four years, Klopp likes having leaders on the pitch. And as I said, without Van Dijk, without Henderson, it, to me, it was pretty obvious that for a game of this magnitude, as, as well as Leicester had been playing and as big a threat as they were going forward, then he would want that experience on the pitch. Yeah, certainly. I, I think the, the voices of Henderson and Milner were, were sorely missed, particularly in the, the Villa game. And we all know how that went. I mean, this, this is a side that as much as the, there's a lot of experience in it and, and a lot of players that take responsibility, um, they are two of the more vocal players and, and they can be missed at times. So I think with, with Henderson and, of course, Van Dijk missing, I think it was important to, to get Milner on that pitch in, in some shape or form and given the injury to, to Trent Alexander-Arnold, that was the, the obvious place to put him. Um, so, no, I'd, I'd be in complete agreement. I, I don't think there's much else Klopp could have done. So, we'll get into the match now. The opening period was played at a notably high pace, perhaps exactly what you'd expect from two teams that are known for their frightening counter-attacks. The first chance of note came on nine minutes when the home side won the ball in the middle of the park and broke. Some nice play between Jones, Firmino and Keita resulted in the former testing Smiker with a shot at his near post. 
On 13 minutes, the Reds once again tested the goalkeeper, with Jota lashing a shot from close range, which Michael parried out. Mark, it was a promising start with the best chances going our way. But did how open the game was give you concerns, particularly considering that we were without our preferred centre-back pairing? Yes and no, really. It was kind of what I expected with with the injuries we had, the, the players missing, if you like, that we've seen it before in the Klopp that attack is the best form of defence. But again, I said with Guy on the preview pod, the, the concern is Barnes and Madison have, have the capabilities to play those balls through to hit Vardy. And Vardy, as we know, is is lethal on the counter. He's He's got pace and he's a very, very good finisher. So it did worry me slightly, again, especially not having Fabinho in in the midfield role, if you like, as the six to sort of shore up and tidy that up, that he was the centre-half that you think in a foot race there, there is only going to be one winner. So you, you would have liked to keep it tighter in that regard. But at the same time, by by us attacking them and, and pressing them as we did, it sort of restricted the threat of that happening. And as the commentators alluded to numerous times, and Jim can can jump in and give his thoughts on this, that Schmeichel was going long pretty much from every kick. I don't know whether that was a, a tactic against us or if that's affected tactic Leicester deploy regularly, but they weren't giving us the opportunity to press in those areas of the pitch at all. Yeah, it's not something um, Leicester normally do. In fact, they've been more adept at, well, more aiming to build from the back. Um, typically in the kind of modern style, I guess, of passing the ball out from the back. But I would imagine Rodgers has looked at, at Liverpool and knows the high press, particularly with some players kind of not out of position, but maybe unfamiliar relatively. I mean, Fuchs doesn't often play centre-back in his career. Um, so if he's one of your out balls as one of your wide centre-backs, to, to, if, if that makes sense, then you don't necessarily want to put him in under any more pressure than is absolutely necessary at any point. Um, so potentially just going long, particularly with um, Barnes um, and Vardy to, to aim at if you want to go one side or the other, then it, it gives you more of an apple. And just basically, I think it's just a pressure release valve. It just means you're not unnecessarily putting yourselves under pressure, which is definitely not something you want to do um, at, at Liverpool. As, you know, Anfield is a fortress and you don't want to give the home side any more opportunity to put you in a difficult position than absolutely necessary. So it's not normally our MO to, to go long. Um, particularly with Schmeichel. Also, his kicking's not especially good. It's probably his weakest um, attribute as a goalkeeper. And he is a very, very good goalkeeper. But if there, if he has kind of one weakness or one notable weakness, it is his distribution, um, which isn't especially good and never really has been. But, you know, I guess it's just the lesser of two evils. You tell him to go long because you don't want to get pressed. Um, and also, you know, talking about going back to the workload and things like that. You know, Leicester have been playing Europa League football um, for the, the whole of this season. Um, there's a lot of travelling involved, a lot of quick turnarounds. Maybe the fact that, you know, that that strategy of just going long means that you're not necessarily needing to play that high press and kind of saving a little bit of energy as well. The whole of the back four's not has got, not got to suddenly be on high alert to... Um, to worry about where the ball's going to go just to get it 25 yards away from your own goal. I suppose from a Liverpool point of view, that, that's what makes us as good as we are, that you can't play out from the back because we press so good from the front. 
But with Fabinho and Matip, it was more concerning to me that if you had played out and beaten that press, then you get the ball over the top, the through ball for Vardy to run onto. I think the long balls like that is playing to our defender's strengths and Vardy's weakness almost. So it was pleasing to see, really. But as you said, it's, it's a lesser of two evils. If you pre- play out from the back, we're going to press you and we're pressing you 20 yards from your goal. At least if you play it long, it's in and around the centre circle. But to me, that just played into our our strengths, if you like, at the back, rather than, as you say, floating it into, into Tielemans, into Madison, into Barnes to try and thread you're threaded for the eye of a needle almost anyway with Liverpool. We are a very well-drilled, organised team, but I thought I didn't really think that was the right way to go. But I don't really know what the right way to go is against Liverpool because we are very, very efficient at what we do. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we've seen Sheffield United kind of use similar tactics not so long ago in that they played long to beat the press but they kind of have the players with the the size and presence to hold it up and they had a lot of joy and and got a lot of touches in our box as a result but I don't really think that's necessarily Vardy's strength but nonetheless obviously Leicester had to, to try something and you can see where they were coming from given that we were playing with our non-preferred centre-halves, not, not to put any knock on them. I mean, one of them isn't a centre-half, let's be honest, but he might do quite well there, but he, he isn't a, a centre-half by trade. Um, but it was certainly a, a notable tactic. So we'll continue on there. So on 21 minutes, yet another Liverpool attack resulted in a corner, one that proved very fruitful for the Reds. Jim, I tend to ask the fan whose team scores the goal to describe it, so as not to break tradition, take it away. Yeah, so the corner comes in uh, from the right-hand side as you look at it as the attacking side, and Johnny Evans goes to nod it away, like I'm sure he's done a million times in training, and it cannons backwards off his 50 pence head and past it. Kasper Schmeichel from about six yards out. So very, very little that could be done um, from a goalkeeping perspective. And I'm sure, like I say, Evans is 99 times out of 100. That's away and clear. Um, It's just one of those freak kind of situations, I guess, that ends up in the back of the net. And just it's just typical that the one game maybe of the entire season, you don't want that bad break to happen against because of the fact that you've got a team that's so difficult to make up ground on, especially in the in front of what would be their own fans uh, with such a formidable home record. It's Liverpool um, and you find yourselves behind. We hadn't really created a lot at that point either and it kind of puts you under massive amounts of pressure to try and get something back. Yeah, own goals are inherently unfortunate and this one was a clear case of bad luck. <laughs> But do you feel you could have done anything better from a defensive point of view aside from the actual header? <laughs> I mean, apart from Johnny Evans, yeah, actually putting his head square on his shoulders and not uh, knocking it backwards. It's it's one of those, isn't it? Because in theory, Evans and Fafana, you know, should be a notable um defensive kind of partnership from a from an aerial perspective and um, Johnny Evans isn't the biggest but he's very experienced and Fafana brings that physical presence um, even though he doesn't have the experience but less to this season and it, it, this kind of goes back to the point about whether you go long I guess or whether you press um, whether you pass it out short from the back and hope Liverpool's press doesn't become super effective Leicester aren't a big team um we're not a physically imposing team. Um, we're not 
a Sheffield United, for example, which is the example that you gave a minute ago, which is exactly right. You know, they've got guys like Ollie McBurney, whose entire MO is to put himself around, be physical, um, a tall, kind of rangy guy. Um, we don't really have players like that. And some of them that we do have, um, you know, like uh, Wilfred Ndidi, for example, who is another notable injury, probably our most important injury, uh, when you consider his impact on the entire eleven. Um He's not in the the six yard area for these these um, set pieces, and yeah, you know it's a free cone goal, right? It's one of the freakiest ones you're going to see this season, in the sense that it just goes a completely different direction to the way a very experienced professional footballer wants it to go, seemingly unchallenged. It's not like he's gone up for a chat, a, a kind of fifty fifty ball in the air and it's gone backwards. So it is essentially a, a free header um, to all intents and purposes. So, yeah, I'm not sure there's anything else you'd do different, really, apart from just, you know, I'm sure he's headed 100 more of those balls in training today and every single one's gone the way he wanted it to go, not backwards. Yeah, it it, it really does come down to, to bad luck. I watched the goal back a few times earlier as preparing my notes and trying to see, was there any kind of Leicester mistake in the run-up? Was someone marking poorly or anything like that that, that should have been in that that space? But I can't re- couldn't spot anything at all. It, it does really just come down to, to bad luck. It's just one of those where you've got to hold your hands up and just say, do you know what, it's going to happen from time to time. It's unfortunate. But like I say, it's just the one game you don't want it to happen, right? It's the Liverpool away game where you don't want to, get, especially at 0-0, um, when, yes, Liverpool have had the best of the chances. But, you know, we saw against Arsenal earlier on in the season that Leicester are kind of happy to soak up pressure in the first half and then look to counter-attack a bit more in the second half and be a bit more expansive. That game plan has to change um, or should change um, when you're 1-0 down after 20 minutes because you've put the ball in the back of your own net. Yeah, certainly. It's, we're not a, a side you wanted to trail to. Uh, many people, my point was, has been the, the best at counter-attacking side in Europe on their day. So it's it's not ideal to, to gift us a, a goal, even if... Um, you were unlucky in doing so. Mark, the bright star pays off, although perhaps not in the manner we might have expected. We seem to be getting a lot of joy from set plays recently, despite having a relatively short side. What do you put that down to? Yeah, it was interesting, again, hearing Carragher on commentary saying we don't appear to be much of a threat from set plays anymore now. Van Dijk's injured, but I didn't really understand that comment. I think we are, and one, I would put it down to the quality of the balls in normally from Trent when he's fit and Robertson. And again, Milner's very hit and miss. He was very good last night with his set of plays. A few of them were really poor and didn't clear the first man. But in general, it's Shakiri as well has got a fantastic left foot on him and his delivery from set plays is very good. And so a mixture of fantastic delivery and work on the training ground, you would say it's, we were mocked a year, two years ago when we announced that we had a, a throw-in coach to see. And I think Klopp does look for any little avenue where he can gain an advantage, if you like. It was, as you say, two years we've battled with Man City. It's been very, very close run thing. And and any little thing you can get an advantage on, we're going to grasp. And I think set plays, you get that many opportunities like that during a game from corners or from free kicks where you can whip them into the box. It, it makes perfect sense for something that that should be something you work on and, and try and get a goal from. And it's paying dividends for us currently. Yeah, I mean, 
Van Dyke is obviously a, a miss, but I mean, my my personal take is, is as long as we have one of either Van Dyke or Matip on the pitch, we we can be a danger from those. Now Matip is clearly not as good in the air from as Van Dyke, and often when he gets his head to them, they they don't find the target. But nonetheless, he does often get his head to them, and for that reason, opposition defenses have to be aware of them of him which I think sometimes creates opportunities for, for other players to, to get in. And, and we've seen that at times with the, with the game last night. So the visitors had a chance for a quick reply on 23 minutes when Vardy broke in behind and pulled it back for Barnes, but he fired wide. Jim, when people think of Jamie Vardy, they inevitably focus on his pace and finishing. But in reality, he has a lot more to his game, and moments like this chance highlight that. He seems to be aging like a fine wine. He's approaching 34, but he seems to be getting better year on year. What's the secret? I think it's probably not starting to play professional football at a good level till you're in your mid-20s. If you look at the miles on the clock, to use the kind of car analogy, he was so... um, youthful when he came into the club um a few years ago well more than a few years ago now um and you know he's had the ability to work his way through the divisions with Leicester um and obviously to to achieve notable success but I think ultimately he hasn't been playing three four times a week in training the other three days um like a lot of professionals have and I think in terms of his Attitude is aptitude. I mean, it's also his decision making, right? So he's a very explosive player and uh, often a lot of the time what's levelled at players of his age. You know, you look at the way Wayne Rooney was kind of chastised for losing his pace, for example, um, as he got older at Manchester United, then moved to Everton and obviously now it's kicking around at Derby. But um you know, one of the key things people always pointed to with Rooney was, oh, he's not quick anymore. He's lost his pace. And the game is so high tempo now, so quick, so in, you know, just intense that if you lose that yard of pace, it can be extremely difficult to keep yourself competitive. But Vardy seems to um, have that in spades now. Part of that is the way that he plays and he is very explosive. But I think part of it is, like say, the fact that he didn't really start playing top level professional football until he was in his mid 20s so it's allowed him to go a lot longer than you might normally expect if he'd been playing from 17 and come through the academy system um you know and been in a first team playing at a good level from the age of 18 19 onwards like a lot of the players that Liverpool will have coming through will do they might not necessarily have the longevity unless you're James Milner of course but you might not necessarily have the longevity that um Vardy's shown into his mid 30s um an underrated thing as well is often his um, decision to give up on England um, or to to kind of step back from international duty because he didn't feel that he had a chance to show his best for the England side. Um, it's really frustrating. It, it's a real kind of bittersweet thing as a Leicester fan to see um, Leicester players kind of sidelined maybe overlooked still a little bit it's funny that for example Chilwell wasn't really um 
often thought of as a, as a regular for England and then he moved to Chelsea and now he's in the team. Same with Maguire. Um, he was a bit more of an England regular and obviously did very well at the World Cup while he, he was technically still a Leicester player. But it does seem increasingly difficult for clubs outside that big six to get players into the national setup um, on a consistent basis. It does happen, but I think Vardy was kind of victim to that in the sense that he was contending with Kane for Golden Boot Awards for a few seasons. Um, Premier League champion for one of them in 15-16 and still couldn't really get much other than substitute appearances for the national team. Now, I'm not saying Gareth Southgate should have started Jamie Vardy in his 30s over Harry Kane, who's obviously going to be England captain, well, England striker and potentially captain for a, a long, long time to come yet. But it is frustrating for a player like Vardy, who's worked that hard later on in his career and achieved notable success on the club stage, not to be able to get as many England minutes and appearances as potentially he would like. So he took the decision a while back, kind of 18 months ago, I guess now, to, to step back from that role. And I think that's undoubtedly helped his longevity from a club perspective because he's now able to um, have rest days when he needs them to train um, when he needs to and to rest when he needs to. Whereas that's very difficult if in these downtime, you know, we've just had a two-week international break where a lot of his... Um, kind of peers in a in a Premier League sense would have been playing three times and training probably half a dozen more with their national team whereas he'll have been able to manage his workload his recovery in a really really extensively busy season and congested season already um, he's able to make the right decisions for him his family his career and that might mean that he's able to play for you know a couple more years yet at the very very top level which would be incredible really. Yeah, I think he made the right call for himself, given, you know, the Harry Kane obviously is the, the main man, the captain there, and there's the likes of Abraham and um, Rashford and a lot of young young forwards. It's the formation as well. He he. D- he didn't want he didn't want to be kind of a de facto winger because he couldn't get a game through the middle. Um, and, you know, if he wasn't going to be the leading man, if he wasn't going to be able to show what he could do. And he scored goals for England when he was picked or when he was brought on as a substitute. He did score. So it's not like he failed to produce um, when he was in an England shirt. Far from it. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the, the combination of the personnel that you're up against, his age and the formation kind of counted against him. So I don't think anyone would blame him. But then again, you know, in this weird year where an injury crisis for a lot of teams only seems on the horizon let alone round the corner um you never know if 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 the euros come calling and southgate's short of attacking options i i wouldn't be surprised if he dusted off his england uh shirt for another another summer at uh, a major tournament one last hurrah perhaps I mean, one criticism I've had of Leicester in recent transfer windows is their their failure to to sign a kind of a true backup, you know, some some competition for Vardy. Yeah. But despite that, against all expectations, he somehow stays fit and he somehow maintains that hunger to to keep going at his best and and keep improving. It's 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 baffling, really. It's it's incredible. Like for a guy who was playing semi-professional. Um, seven or eight years ago um, and then was signed for a million pounds which obviously is a hell of a lot of money but we were a championship team at that point I'm sure he was earning great money compared to the semi-professional days and the fact that you're a professional at all is amazing from that kind of journey but yeah he's been able to become one of the club's top earners sign several new contracts you know notable success club European games with England as well then yeah it's, it's incredible and I think it just speaks 
it speaks volumes to the the person that he is and the way that he's able to kind of drive himself forward. I also think there's probably some flexibility there from the club as well, in the sense that he's had a few managers over the course of his Leicester career. Um, it's not like we've had one manager for the seven or eight years that he's been with us. Um, and during that time, they've, especially recently, I guess, when he turned 30 and beyond, he's probably been able to have free licence to train when he needs to train, rest when he needs to rest or, or you know, to do something different rather than just being forced to be out there on the training pitch, putting more miles on the clock if he doesn't need to, so that he can have that explosive pace when it comes to game time. But you're absolutely right in terms of replacing him or kind of finding a backup. Leicester have spent the GDP of a small country, it feels like, trying to replace or find a backup for Jamie Vardy in the last four or five transfer windows and beyond. You know, you know, we've had uh, players like Islam Soleimani, um, Ahmed Musa, Kalichi Iheanacho. All those players were intended to be very, very expensive, very high-profile potential replacements for Vardy, especially Soleimani and Iheanacho, given their central position. Whereas Moosey, you could mitigate that one a little bit and say he was designed to play out wide. But all three of them have been flops. Um, two of them are no longer a f- even a feature of the club, which is amazing when you consider the money that we spent on them. And Ian Acho is only really a part because I think the fee that we paid for him and the wages that he's on, it's very difficult to move him on. He doesn't do a lot for us when he's um, picked. Um, and hasn't done over his Leicester career, so we don't we don't have the best of uh, look when it comes to strikers in the transfer market. That's for sure. Which is in such in stark, which is crazy because it's in such stark contrast to the other positions where we just seem able to recruit relatively well, um, really well in some instances, you know. But even the average players turn out to be just that they're average players, but we paid average money for them, so you're kind of happy with it. Um, whereas the strikers have been an absolute money pit over the last four or five years. That's for sure. Yeah, it certainly is a bit of a head-scratcher. I mean, I know there was links to Edson Edouard during the summer, and I, I thought on paper he seemed like the, the perfect Jamie Vardy um, understudy. And I think with how Celtic are struggling, that may well be one you, you could possibly revisit in the January transfer window. Yeah, potentially. Um, obviously, the, the Rogers link is going to be obvious as well. Um, it, it would be nice if we moved for a player that was... Um, kind of able to come in and play that role. It's really, really difficult. And I guess it's the same issue that Tottenham are going to have with Harry Kane, right? Because the formation dictates that that backup striker is rarely going to play. Um, But when they do, you need them to be able to perform. Part of the problem that the fact that they're rarely going to play is that you're unlikely to attract a young prospect or a kind of very promising young player that can come through and actually take on that mantle in two or three years time when they're needed because they don't want to bench warm for the next two seasons um by the same token that the other side of that seesaw is that you're normally going to be looking at players that are either not a great fit or kind of older players which isn't really rmo anymore it used to be way back when but it's not anymore um so it leaves you in a in a difficult position um even given the money that we could spend, because you've either got to convince a young up and coming player that it's okay to sit on the bench and kind of work their way in slowly but surely and be the long term replacement, or you've got to go for someone who isn't necessarily the best fit and end up spending a load of money on a player that, you know, plays 10, 15 times a season at most um, and probably won't get that many goals because of that. Yeah, it certainly is a difficult position to, to be in. I mean, we know it all too well. We're trying to sign 
back up to our, our front three. Although we've had, obviously, a bit more luck yeah. with that in recent times, and, and we'll come on to that. So we'll move on. The home side had chances to double their lead, with both Matip and Firmino coming close from set plays, while a Leicester counter on 34 minutes saw an effort from Justin go just wide of the far post. However, the game did finally see a second goal on 43 minutes. Mark, how about you take us through this one? I didn't quite realise until I'd seen the stats after the game just how many passes were involved in it. It was a sublime piece of play, really. We just, I suppose you just become complacent to it, really. We've been treated to so much wonderful football the last few years, but what a team move. And then, as we, as I said earlier, with the, the amount of goals we're scoring from set pieces, it's just the quality of the delivery into the box. That was a... A brilliant, brilliant ball in by Robertson again. And Jota's just everything he touches at the moment just seems to turn to gold, doesn't it? It was a, a great ball in, a great header. And it's indefendable, really. It's just the way we move the ball around, the pace in which we're doing it. And again, this is players like uh, Curtis Jones was involved in it. That's a 19-year-old kid that's only just starting to make his mark in the Liverpool team that's just so comfortable on the ball, just... Seems to know how long to keep hold of it, when when and where to move it to. And it's just almost like we're just toying with these teams until we're ready to go. And then bang, bang, two per passes. It's out to Robertson in space, pings one in, and Jota with a header. And to do it the justice it deserves, I suppose you do need to see the full build-up to it. Because otherwise it is, it's a very good ball into the box and it's a good header, but it doesn't show it in the light. It deserves to be shown in, really. It was, I remember, was it 98 World Cup that Argentina scored what was the goal of the tournament where they had a ridiculous number of passes in the build-up to the goal. The finish itself wasn't particularly special, but it's just a teamwork, isn't it? You're either love team goals like that or you can love a 30-yard screamer into the top corner or an overhead kick, but... To me, a team goal like that, it, it's great to see. And as you say, we're doing this with, fair enough, it was Robertson and Jota that combined for the goal in the end that are regulars in our team now. But that's still, there was plenty of players involved in the, the build-up to it that aren't regulars in this Liverpool team. But it just goes to show the work we do on the training ground and hopefully now with, with a move to Kirby and the under-23s and under-18s playing like that as well, you can just drop a player in and the quality doesn't diminish as much and we're all playing the same way and it's a joy to watch. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that that was a goal to remember just simply for the amount of passes involved and, and how we just pulled Leicester from left to right to left to right. It was, it, it's lovely to see. I mean, that's now eight goals in just six starts for Jota. He's simply on fire. Many fans, including myself, had reservations about his signing, but he's doing all he can to prove us wrong. What were your thoughts, Mark, on the signing, and, and has your opinion changed since? It's it's hard, isn't it? I wasn't jumping for joy when we signed him, by any means. But at the same time, I don't think there's many players that would have got me jumping for joy, really, because of the strength of our front three. And as you alluded to when you were talking to Jim before about a replacement for Vardy, it's trying to find somebody that's no disrespect to them, but that next level up from from an Origi that was the fourth attacker that's, well, at the start of the season, we all presume would be happy being fourth choice as the front three as 
and I know now Mo's out, but that's with COVID. They have got a very good injury record. They've played so many minutes, so many games the last three, four years that it's, it's going to take a special sort of player that backs himself to come in and make the position his own against that front three that's going to be happy to come in. He's obviously backed himself to do it. And as we've seen now, Klopp isn't afraid to make it a front four. And he did that away at Manchester City, which is arguably the toughest game you're going to face in the league. And at the moment, he's just, as you said, he's just on fire. It's been a dream start to his Liverpool career. And long, long may it continue. He's, he just looks so full of confidence. And again, he's scoring so many different types of goals. The hat-trick he got in Atlanta, they were all different goals. He's doing cheeky little chips. He's doing quick finishes. He's scoring with his head. And he just looks a threat. He looks a threat all over the pitch. And, and the more of those we can have on the pitch, the better for us. And as you say, no disrespect to Rigi. He scored a winning goal in the Champions League. But the drop-off from the front three to him was quite severe. Whereas now... It's not at all. He's pushing to be on a par with them. Don't get me wrong, that's just on on current form. The other three have been doing it for three, four years at Liverpool and won us a league and won us a Champions League. But at the moment, he he would be in mine and probably 90, 95% of Liverpool fans team week in, week out. And that's on merit and that's credit to him, to how hard he's worked. And again, a massive amount of credit to Michael Edwards, Jurgen Klopp and the scouting team that they've seen this guy there and it's hard to say you've unearthed a gem when you've still paid 40 odd million for him but you look at what we sold to get that that was basically Rian Brewster and Keanu Hoover who've left our club who haven't really done anything yet at their new clubs selling those two got us Jota there was nobody else really linked with Jota it seemed to be Ismail Assar from Watford was the one that was being linked with all the clubs, Liverpool were linked with him, Man United were linked with him. Nobody really seemed to come in for Jota. And as you say, it wasn't a snip, it was £40 million. But the prices for football transfers these days, even that's looking like a bargain now, the way he started. When some players don the shirt of a, a big club, they, they see that as the finishing line. But others see it as the start of something bigger. And I, I think Jota is certainly one of the latter. I mean, he is savouring having that Liverpool shirt on his back and, and he's making the most of the opportunities. So, I mean, long may it continue. Hopefully this this start is, is going to be the norm for him at Liverpool because we still have little snidey Wolves fans in the back telling us how he, how he tends to blow hot and cold. So hopefully he proves them wrong as, as time goes on. Um, Jim, there was a lot of talk about Liverpool's injuries in the run-up. But here we had an ageing left-back at centre-half being beaten to the ball. Was this a striking reminder of Leicester's own injury troubles? Yeah, to be honest, it's, you know, I think given the injury crisis, the injury situation, shall we say, um, that Leicester have had for most of the season, um, the position that we are in the league actually is a remarkably good one, um, given the teams that we've played. And I think occasionally you've got to admit that these issues are just going to come and bite you from one game to the next. You might not always be able to put out the best of the best performances if you've not got players that are suited to their positions. Um, Fuchs, I think, you know, it's a little bit on Evans, that second goal, I think, because he kind of, him and Fafana are, are on the side of the 
box where the ball actually comes from, from Robertson. Um, and I think both of them get drawn a little bit too much towards the ball, which leaves that corridor in behind. And then it means that Fuchs is scrambling to try and get back to where Jota is and just is on the wrong side of him. And, and again, you know, that is a positional thing and it's a very subtle change for Fuchs given what he's normally used to and where he's kind of made his name as a as a wing back a fullback um in Germany and then in in England so those kind of blips will happen from time to time and I think it's perfectly kind of reasonable to put that kind of nuanced little kind of oversight shall we say down to a uh, fullback playing as a left-sided centre-back and just kind of getting drawn or, or having to cover from someone else and, and ended up being in slightly the wrong position and getting beaten to a header. Yeah, I think we, we've all seen that over the, the years of supporting our own respective clubs. You can see a full-back come in at centre-half and they cannot yeah. put a foot wrong for 89 of the 90 minutes and just in that one minute, they'll slip into the, the mindset of a fullback and forget to do one simple thing and then it's a goal. It's just, you can't even be, you can't be mad at them because it, it's not their position at the end of the day and it's just unfortunate that, that injuries obviously have, have had their effect on your side as well. And as Mark said, I think every every club in the league can can point at least one or two positions where they're they're suffering due to the to the current conditions. As if Liverpool didn't have enough injuries to cope with, shortly into the second half, Naby Keita dropped to his knee and held the back of his right leg. Unfortunately, he was unable to continue and was replaced by Neko Williams. Mark, when Mamadou Sako was at the club, I used to make reference to the cycle of Sako. With him tending to play well for a spell, get injured, take notably longer than other players to find his feet again, and then the cycle would begin anew. Keita seems to follow a very similar cycle, unfortunately. How frustrating is it to see him injured yet again, particularly after a solid performance on the night? It's just, it's, you just feel sorry for him, don't you? And you knew straight away, really, the way he hit, he hit the ground, didn't he, at the same time as sort of holding his hamstring. And you knew straight away it was going to happen again. And it just doesn't seem... To catch a break, does he? It's been like that every season he's been at Liverpool. He he comes in and he he did. He looked very good last night. He's a different type of midfielder to what we would normally play with. He's good at carrying the ball on the half turn, at creating that space. He gets us further up the pitch. And you just feel like he deserves that break. He deserves that run in the team. And as soon as he's, he's starting to get it, he's hit by another setback, whether it's on international duty, whether it's playing for Liverpool or even in training, it just seems he is cursed by injuries. And as much as I'm a big fan of his, and I think when he's fit and available, he's a great talent. Uh, again, our very own Simon Brundish says the best type of ability is availability. And if he's not available, unfortunately, there, there is going to be a point soon well, we're going to have to look at that. And much as I wouldn't want to sell him and I wouldn't want to cut our losses, but he is no use to us if he's as injured as often as he is. And you're talking three, four years now of fairly regular injuries and missing chunks of the season. And we can't really afford for that to be happening. But it is such a shame because I think there is a very, very good player in there. And when he plays, we do look a different team and he does bring something a bit different to us. But... You can't you can't keep going like this. Unfortunately, it's you just hope that it's not a serious, a long term one because the games are coming very, very thick and fast. Still, 
especially over the festive period, and we're going to need him. So hopefully it's not too serious and it's only one or two weeks out when he can play a key role over the busy Christmas period. You would hope so. I mean, it is certainly a question that maybe Klopp will have to look at in the summer, given that, you know, it's come, seems to be at a stage where he's available maybe 40% of the time and then only for 20% of the time is he 100% sharp and fit. So is that worth keeping him around for? I, I don't know. And I'm sure only Klopp can answer that question. But I, I do hope he comes back from this quick enough because, I mean, we entered this season thinking that we had a mountain of midfield options and then suddenly... Ox's injury turned out to be worse than we first thought it was and since then Thiago's gotten injured, Henderson's now injured and we suddenly seem very depleted in that position so we, we can't really afford to, to lose another one. I mean I don't think James Milner can be playing 90 minutes week in week out, especially twice a week given the, the current schedule. No definitely not, it's... And again, I've said this on numerous podcasts, Liverpool are very secretive with the information they give out on Klopp at his press conferences. It's, I think he said in the build-up to this game that Thiago, Henderson and Ox were looking good and it was positive, but none of them were on the bench then. And I suppose the midweek game will be telling who's who's available then, who's on the bench then. And as you say, that that's Liverpool's philosophy. That's Liverpool's way of doing things. It's... When Thiago got injured against Everton, he finished the game. I know there was only five or so minutes left when Richarlison injured him, but he did finish the game. And I don't think anybody really expected that it would still be this long and it, and him not be seen at all. It's it's quite a worry, really, that it was more serious. Henderson appears that it wasn't too serious. And if not for Wednesday, he'll be fit for the weekend. But until the hour before kickoff and the team's announced... You just you're kept in the dark, really, by Liverpool, and that's the way they do it, and that's the way it is. Yeah, ho- hopefully we we see them come back soon. Um, particularly Ox, because he's he's another player. I'd certainly feel sorry for given the the injuries he's suffered in the, in his time at the club. Um, moving on with the game. On 54 minutes, the home side had their first notable chance of the half. Mane broke in behind. His shot was parried towards the goal line, but Jota was unable to get his head to it, with Fuchs winning the battle this time and putting it behind for a corner. Three minutes later, saw a flurry of chances for the Reds. Clever footwork from Jota on the right allowed him to get a shot away, which Michael could only push wide at the near post. Jota put the ball back across the face of the goal where it was met by Firmino, but again, Michael was able to save. Evans almost scored a second in his own net as he beat Firmino to the rebound, but his header found the post. Jim, he may have conceded a few goals on the night, but it was a notable performance from Michael. On another day, that's a performance that likely earned you some points. Yeah, um, on another night, it's probably a 6-0. Um, given the quality of the chances that Liverpool had. So, you know, although 3-0 isn't great, it it could have been a hell of a lot worse, I think, given the quality of chances. Um, Schmeichel has been an incredible servant to Leicester and continues to be one of the best shot stoppers around. Um, As I said, his distribution isn't fantastic. He's not amazing in the air, um, albeit 
helped now by some kind of imposing centre-backs that he knows he can trust. Um, and that kind of goes back to the title winning season when we had Robert Huth and Wes Morgan, who would just head everything away um, to, to kind of take the pressure off from him in that regard. But yeah, he, I mean, you know, he, he's he's a brilliant keeper and um, one of the, he, he will go down as a Leicester legend, not just because of his um, shot-stopping ability, but also his kind of leadership um, on and off the pitch. He seems like just a, an amazing character to have around the club and the dressing room, so influential. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, can't say enough about him. Um, positive, really. And on, as you say, another night, um, you know, it, it goes a different way and you get some points out of a goalkeeping performance like that. It's just a shame that we weren't able to kind of keep all those chances out. We just had to settle for some of them. Yeah, you, I mean, I don't, but I mean, you, you'd almost feel sorry for him given that performance <laughs> to, to concede three goals. If it wasn't my team, I, I, I might have felt sorry. Yeah, I think if, you, if you're the goalkeeper that concedes three, often the assumption is that you haven't had a particularly good game. I think that's probably one of the best goalkeeping performances you're likely to see in a 3-0 defeat, you know, certainly this season and probably for a couple of seasons previous as well. The visitors did enjoy a couple of short spells, but they resulted in very little in terms of chances, with many attacks breaking down due to offside. The best side of goal for Leicester, that came in the second half, perhaps came just after the hour mark when a free kick found Vardy in behind, but he was unable to get their head of Allison. Jim, you're a side that often don't create a lot of chances, with chances particularly scarce in this game, but you are known for being clinical. However, that wasn't the case on the night, with the Barnes chance in the first half being particularly notable. A bad day at the office for your forwards, good defending from Liverpool, or a combination of both? Um, Probably a bit of both, probably leaning more towards the Liverpool defensive um, soundness being the main factor. I mean, anyone who's watched Barnes this season will know that he's kind of vastly improved um, compared to previous years and he seems to really be kicking on which is fantastic for an academy prospect um, who's come through the system and he's a local boy um, I think his dad's from up north at Barnsley but I think he was brought, born and raised he went to a high school just a few um, miles down the road from me actually but um, he you know he's a real prospect and a talent and he's obviously broken into the England scene or had until the, the previous squad um, came out. But he's still very, very um, hit and miss in front of goal. Um, he seems to have this thing where he shoots at the goalkeeper a lot. And some of his goals um, have come from the fact that he's just hit it so hard or kind of the keeper's kind of fumbled it and it's gone into the net. Um, he seems to be working on that a lot, which is what he's going to need if he wants to break through as a, a kind of real um, top flight kind of not regular because he will be regular in our team but to, to really excel into that potential top flight excellent player that he has got all the attributes to be um part of that like i say is, is his finishing and it is a little bit woeful at times um he can often spurn quite good chances and it's really really frustrating because he gets himself into so many good um positions and opportunities and then just you know we'll put the ball wide like he did it's a perfect example he just encapsulates the good and the bad about harvey barnes at the moment but he is still a relatively young prospect and we hope that he will kick on and kind of keep on that trajectory that allows him to um to really make the most of his exceptional amount of potential no, he's certainly one to watch and he's he's well worth the, the recent England call up and I, I think he'll definitely be in contention for the Euros. 
Mark, we mentioned earlier how Liverpool were without their preferred centre-back pairing, but I feel it was particularly apparent in this second half how good the alternatives are. What did you make of the performances of Matip and Fabinho? I think I was speaking to a few friends last night after the game. Everybody played well for Liverpool, really, last night. It's Without going on to ratings, I think everybody was certainly an 8 out of 10. If not better, It was. Uh, I was a bit concerned before the game when Milner playing at right back. I think his, his age and his lack of pace compared to sort of certainly to Trent's pace and the way we, we would normally play Liverpool with a high line, which seems to have gone back a bit now anyway with Van Dijk being out. But his pace did concern me, but I thought he put in a, a fantastic performance at, both at right back and when he moved into midfield. And again, the quality of his passing from, from right back was very, very good. And Curtis Jones just continues to impress. I thought it was a very, very assured performance. And for somebody that's only really had a handful of games to Liverpool, and the majority of them have been in the domestic cups alongside fellow non-first team players want to put in it a better way he didn't look out of place at all and, and that's the biggest compliment you can give him really and I know he, he's a regular but I just wanted to give a special shout out to when Aldum it he's just a machine without wanting to curse anything here he is just available so so many games he just he's a phenomenal player the fact that he can go away on international duty for for his country and play as, as a 10, if not more, attacking and score regular goals to then come back to his club and just continually, game after game, just get on with a job. Klopp asks of him. He's not really a fancy Dan player, but he's just reliable and he's just he's just there. He's been there throughout Klopp's time, scored key goals in key games. And yeah, I just wanted to take an opportunity to give him a big up because I, I think he goes unnoticed really with... With applauded the fullbacks get with what Virgil gets with the front three and even Allison in goal. I think a lot of what Wijnaldum does goes unnoticed and probably fans of other clubs don't quite realise how important he is to Liverpool and, and this machine the Klopp's built. I think I'll send that soundbite to a genie in a, a, an attempt to convince him to sign a new deal. Um, certainly it's going to be a hard one for you when it comes time to, to pick your man of the match. Um, but I would agree it, it was an excellent team performance. On 76 minutes, Liverpool had a golden chance to put the game to bed with Jota playing in Firmino, who's seen off the challenge of Fafana before putting the ball past Michael. However, it could only find the inside of the post before coming back to Firmino. But a second effort was cleared off the line, being just millimetres from being over the line. Mane's effort from the clearance was saved by Schmeichel before finally being cleared from danger. I honestly don't think I've ever seen a ball be that close to being over the line without being over it. I think it even trumps the Salah goal, well, the Salah not goal against Man City last season. Um, but the Reds did finally put it beyond a shadow of doubt on 86 minutes. Mark, take it from here. You could see really with, with the reaction the whole team gave and with Cops into you after the game, just the delight for him. He, I think since Jota came as well and, and the way that Jota's hit the ground running and, and adding goals to the the front three, it's it's just put him under a bit more scrutiny, really. And he, he hasn't been the Bobby of two years ago, but he is still so important to Liverpool and to what we do. And again, I've seen the debate numerous times. Do we need a better nine? Do we need a, somebody more prolific, somebody that's going to score more and does that let us down? 
I don't think Mane and Salah score anywhere near the amount of goals they do if we have a different player playing in the nine than Bobby Firmino. Klopp clearly loves him. All the rest of the team clearly love him. He doesn't score very many goals, or he hasn't the last season and a half, two seasons, but he contributes in so many other ways. And when that one, as you just discussed, didn't quite go over the line, you just thought it's never, ever going to happen for him. So I was delighted to see him score. And as you say, the, the way the whole team celebrated with him, you can see how delighted they were for him and, and Klopp as well. Klopp, you can see he almost gets angry with having to defend him. He just seems like, a, why should I have to defend him? Surely you know how good he is and what he does and gets annoyed at people that they don't and that he even has to have that conversation with him. It's He's clearly one of Klopp's favourites. Again, he's he's been there. He's contributed massively to us winning Champions League, World Club Cups and Premier Leagues. And it's, it is good to see him scoring. But again, I don't think that's an important part of his role, if you like, it's because we have got Salah that scores so many, Mane that scores so many, and Jota that scores so many now. But he is he is irreplaceable for the job that he does. There's not many that are as unselfish as Bobby. And I think it pays dividends to the team that we've got him in there. And I still love Bobby Firmino. Yeah, I can certainly only echo what you said there. It hasn't been his best start of the season, but that was a particularly notable performance from him. And it would have been a a damn shame to see him come out of it without something to show, something solid. And I was so happy for him that he he got that one particularly, given the the one that was cleared off the line. And um, also, shout out to James Milner, as you alluded to earlier. It was an excellent delivery from him. All in all, a a well-worked goal from a corner. But on that note, Jim, conceding two goals from corners in a game is generally an automatic eyebrow raiser. Do you place the blame on anything in particular? No, I mean, we could have conceded goals from a load of other situations as well. It just so happened to be the corners that were the ones that got put away. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a big weakness with Leicester as a whole. Um I'll probably be proved wrong now and we'll go on to concede a load of goals from corners. We're not particularly effective at corners attacking-wise, but we don't concede a whole bunch defensively either. So it doesn't feel like much of a weakness. I think it's just a bit of variance kind of coming to the fore, really. You know, would we be talking about it if Liverpool had missed one of those chances, but Firmino puts the other one in from open play? It's just one of those that I think on the night looks like something that it's maybe not because of the fact that a load of other chances have gone begging and then the two that well two of the three that did go in were were from set pieces not to scare you jim but we did concede a lot of goals from set players under brendan rogers <laughs> hopefully that's not a sign of things to come Fingers for Leicester. Mark, mark probably remembers that all too well as well yes unfortunately so yes but we won't dwell on that we won't think of those memories and upset jim anymore <laughs> That's it. We'll we'll quickly move on. So after that, obviously, the Reds were able to see it out for a 3-0 solid win. Mark, it's safe to say there were concerns about this game. We haven't always been at our flowing best this season and have been far from solid at the back. Coming back from the international break with nine players missing to face a Leicester side who have enjoyed their best ever start to a Premier League season, scalping Man City along the way, we were up against it. 
But at the end of the 90 minutes, those concerns were well and truly put to bed with the players who had come in playing a big part. How impressed were you with the performance? And in particular, what did you make of the performances of the fringe players like Milner and Jones? Yeah, it was very impressed. It was a, it almost reminded me a little bit of the, the Boxing Day game last year, again, without wanting to make Jim's night even worse for him. The fact that we'd come back then from Qatar, and don't get me wrong, we didn't have the injuries we had there, and at the time Leicester was second in the league, and it was just a statement performance, wasn't it? The way we, we battered them there away 4-0, and again, it was, a, it was a statement performance last night to me. It was a... We dominated the game from start to finish. Really, there was that that Barnes chance where he probably should have scored. That he sent it high and wide. And other than that, f- from my memory, I think the main chances they had were from offside. Really, and again, this was a Leicester team that, if they won, they could have gone top of the league. That had gone to the Etihad and won five two. And for the for the missing players that we had for that 11 to go in and not just win, but win in that matter, manner, sorry. And as Jim said, 3-0 was flattering to Leicester almost. On another night, those chances go in and it's 4-5, if, if not 6. And that wouldn't have been a an unjust scoreline, really. It was, it was a very, very good performance. And we know as well, after international breaks or after Klopp hasn't had the team, we can sometimes be a bit slow to get going. It was... Certainly welcome to me that the game was on the Sunday night rather than the Saturday lunchtime, which we normally seem to have after international breaks. I think that does make a difference. And we're just a machine, aren't we? Klopp has just got us playing some fantastic football and it's just a joy to behold at the moment to be a Liverpool fan. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it was it was exactly what you want after an international break, and and particularly when you're you're worried about injuries to to see people come in and give a performance like that. It's just it's exactly what you want to see, and and hopefully they continue to to give performances like that, and we and we don't even miss the players that are are missing, as crazy as that is to to say. Uh, Jim, it's difficult to take positives from a three nil loss at any point but I didn't think Leicester were particularly bad on the night. You just tend to bring the best out of Liverpool in recent games. What did you make of the performance overall? And were there any lessons learned? Yeah, we just glad we only had to play Liverpool twice a season. Um, it's, a, it's a tricky one to to kind of necessarily take too many positives from in the sense that it's a 3-0 defeat. You don't want to seem overly optimistic in a situation like that. But... As we've talked about, there have been injuries throughout the season and a result like that has probably been in the post for a little while, um, just based on the fact that you can't always perform at your absolute peak, given the um, the kind of number of players that are either playing back-to-back games when they wouldn't normally, like Fuchs, for example, you know, given his ageing um, you probably wouldn't hit, want him, similar to Milner, I guess you wouldn't want him playing back-to-back games um, on a regular basis, but he's in that position now. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's, it's one of those where you just kind of have to accept it and move on. We've got a relatively kind fixture list coming up, albeit with the Europa League um, mixed into that. So I think we've got Braga coming up, then the Premier League games are Fulham, Sheffield United, Brighton, um, I think, are the next three. So 
good chances to get back on track essentially and you just have to take take your defeat and go home with your tail between your legs and kind of uh, move on to the next game I guess we're still still in and around the European places and that's ultimately got to be the goal this year to to push on in Europe ourselves with the Europa League and then to also try and disrupt that so-called top four big six kind of um that's seemingly had um, a lot of those places locked down for the last few years yeah nonetheless it has been a really impressive start from Leicester and I, I am sure they will bounce back from this and they'll be there or thereabouts when everything's said and done at the end of the season as far as European places are, are concerned um, so we'll finish up with man of the match uh, Mark who is the man of the match for you it's a tough one like you said isn't it really nobody exceptionally stood out everybody was really really good and torn between Curtis Jones and Andy Robertson, just again, Robertson, the, the injury doubt, and then having to play that full 90 minutes in a dead rubber game for Scotland. He just, he's just a Duracell bunny, isn't he? He just keeps, keeps going. But I think just for his impact and for his age, I'll, I'll give it to Curtis Jones. Yeah, I'd, I'd uh, I agree with you there. I thought he was really impressive, but I mean, as you said, everyone was really good on the night, but um I think Jones deserves a shout out uh, for what he did coming in because, I mean, he he would have been someone struggling for minutes, but he's taken the opportunity there with the injuries. And Jim, from a Leicester point of view, who was the standout? Um, Probably Schmeichel, as we said, like he bailed us out a few times. Um, Difficult to draw too many positives when none of your attacking players have scored the net, uh, found the net. You can't really give it to any of them, particularly because we didn't create that many clear-cut chances. Um, defensively, it's also tricky to give it to a defender who's conceded three times. But yeah, I think Schmeichel probably the best of the bad bunch, if you like, on the on the night for Leicester. Yeah, certainly. I couldn't argue with that. He was he was a clear standout. As I said, he, yeah, I almost felt sorry for him. So we'll finish out with plugs. Mark, anything from you? Any Reds reviews to look forward to? Uh, yes, I'll be recording the last week in November. You've caught me off the hop there, so I'm not quite sure when. I don't think they've even been announced ever with, with TV and things like that, really. I mean, I think Brighton is probably our last game, isn't it, of the, of the month on Saturday lunchtime. So hopefully I'll get that one in before the Tuesday, the first one we're due to play Ajax. So probably the 29th, 30th of November, that one will be out. Perfect. Certainly keep a lookout for that one. It's always a good listen. And Jim, any plugs from your end? Uh, no, nothing definite coming up. I will probably be on um, the EPL Roundtable, um, which is the kind of Premier League summary show with a, a selection of fans each week um, a couple of times in the next few weeks, I guess. Um, so yeah, give that a listen if you want a more kind of top-down overall view of the Premier League on there representing Leicester again. So we'll be talking about kind of the, the week's results and the, the bigger kind of themes running through the Premier League on a regular basis. Certainly give that a listen as well. Always a good one. If you're not already following the lads on Twitter, I'd advise you to give them a follow. You can follow Jim at Jim Knight Tweets, and you can follow Mark at Harry Welshie. So give them a follow if you aren't already. So thanks to the lads for joining me today and thanks for everyone for listening. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.